0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast. Or are you listening to the Get Up in the Cool podcast? It's going to be somewhat ambiguous in today's episode, and I will explain what I mean later. Either way, I'm really thankful to have all of you listening. You're going to have to forgive my my froggy voice. I've I've come down with a cold recently and don't worry, it's it's not it's not that sickness. It's just a cold. I've I've checked. So please forgive that and Perhaps you're also surprised to be hearing an episode dropping on a Wednesday, so I'm just throwing you curveballs here, left and right. But I thank you all for dealing with that, dealing with me, and uh, most certainly thank you for listening to the show. In particular, there is one of you, a very special guest, and I'm talking, of course, about the Patreon supporter of the day, which for this episode is Samuel Barham. Sam is a classically trained pianist who studied piano and the Russian language at the Moscow Conservatory and now makes his living as an artificial intelligence researcher at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. And I'm happy to hear he's finally decided to do something productive with his life and take up the banjo. He's a VIP lounge regular and he's already making great progress making some fine music on that banjo. Although now I'm a bit suspicious. Are we... All just part of some artificial intelligence experiment that Sam is running. I'm not quite sure, but either way, Sam, I'm thrilled to have you as a listener and a supporter of the show. Everyone else, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to find out how you can support the show just like Sam here did. If you'd like to contact the show for any reason, that is pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Always feel free to get a hold of me with any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or if you need me to give you my uh, Christmas lifts for gift ideas, uh, I, I have quite a few, so happy to share that. And speaking of holiday gifts, I have a couple holiday gifts for you. Uh, you've you've heard of the monthly VIP lounge, which is a video meetup for the Patreon supporters that I already mentioned, uh, and, and that's a monthly meetup with me and the fellow supporters. This month, I decided that I'm going to open that VIP lounge to everybody. I will publish that uh, we do it through Google Meet, and that meeting link will be published on my Patreon page again. That's Patreon.com/slash Banjo Podcast. The VIP lounge is scheduled for Monday, December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So at at some point before then, I will publish that code. You'll have to go there, but it will be open to everybody. And maybe I'm going to regret that. It might get a little out of control, but it should be a really good time. And the other gift I have for all of you is a merchandise discount You've all seen the cool kids running around with their Picky Fingers t-shirts. Now is your best chance to get one for yourself. If you go to the main uh, webpage for the show, that's banjopodcast.com, and you use coupon code PICKY21 at checkout, you will get a 21% discount off of your entire order. So now's the time to stock up on those t-shirts and the stickers. And that coupon code is good now through the end of the year. Today's featured guest is Cameron DeWitt, a fantastic banjo player and the host of the Get Up in the Cool podcast, which features uh, various old-time and other folk-style musicians. And uh, Cameron always lends their banjo talents to the jam sessions that happen on that podcast. And we, we did a crossover show back at IBMA in October. So this is, this is actually an episode of both podcasts, and as a result, you are probably actually going to hear more about me and more of my playing than, uh, than you ever do on my own show, and that's because Cameron and I had to uh, compete to ask each other questions, and following the format of Cameron's show, we played a lot of music too, so I, I think you'll really enjoy the change of pace. You'll probably learn something about me and hopefully learn a lot about Cameron DeWitt. Uh, they've developed their own particular style called pitchfork banjo. It sounds a lot like clawhammer, but there's a bit more to it, and you will hear all about that. I should also briefly explain that we began recording this on an outdoor balcony in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, as I said during IBMA and so you might notice a bit of outdoorsy kind of sounds and we did eventually about halfway through the episode move inside so the audio does improve when the various parties and traffic and nature sounds became a little too unbearable for us to continue out there so please give a warm picky fingers welcome to cameron dewitt of the get up in the cool podcast and the tall poppy string Band.
1: Welcome to get up in the pool.
0: No, Cameron DeWitt. <laughs> Welcome to the picky fingers. <laughs> no, you podcast. hang us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't fire me, I quit.
2: <laughs> no, this fun, is awesome.
1: Crossover episode. Yeah. <laughs> I've only done one of these ever. It was with uh Charlie Walden. Uh I don't know Not if you no. he's like a Missouri fiddler, lives in Chicago, mm-hmm. and super fun. But uh yeah, we we were planning on uh doing something like this. Back in 2020, when I was planning on coming to it, you're full of Something interrupted it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, these uh, well, things
2: fall through. We got busy,
0: I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 really great to finally do this. And I will say that when I started getting the idea for the podcast, you know, you, you scout out what the potential competition or redundancy might be, or, or is there even a, a niche for this? Yeah. And so when I searched... Banjo podcasts initially yours is, was like the main one. Oh, I think that was already shown out up. There. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. SEO and all that, and then and then fortunately, um, you, you know, identif- yeah. I identified that we would be different enough that it was totally totally cool. But oh, I appreciate yeah.
1: you putting that thought into it, and I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, you have a well, yours is a banjo podcast, and the banjo is expansive. Yeah, it covers so much. There's enough yeah enough room <laughs> so why why did you want to make picky fingers what led you to want to be an interviewer there's about a, banjos
0: I don't I didn't necessarily want to be an interviewer but I wanted the podcast to exist there's that's a great answer <laughs> there, there's this uh, tome in the in the bluegrass banjo world i don't know if you'll be familiar it's called masters of the five-string banjo it's this
2: no thick
0: book maybe like 400 pages and it was written in the 80s and it was it's in-depth interviews with a lot of like the legendary players ralph stanley jd crow earl scruggs you know just all the people that everyone loves in in the bluegrass banjo world and there's like this database of the microphones that everyone uses and the wow. types of bridges that everyone uses. Like, that's amazing. It's amazing. And so for the longest time, its it's been in the back of my mind that, wow, there really needs to be a volume two of this because it's from—it's in the 80s and there's been so many great players yeah. since then. So that's one thing. And then another thing was I listened to a lot of podcasts. I had this crappy like day job where I listened to things and, of course, I wanted to to hear that and that was always my goal like i need to hear this masters of the five string banjo type of information in podcast form and after a while it kind of occurred to me that like okay well i know some things about banjo i have microphones i was a sound guy for a while i was a banjo salesman for a while i worked at elderly for a long time so i know about banjos and about gear like i have enough hands and different Areas that I thought I might be able to actually like speak intelligently to enough people, yeah. to make it work. So I just tried, yeah, and uh, I'm still doing it, like three-ish years later.
1: That's great. So,
0: how about you? I'm I'm curious to to well, first, what you were trying
1: to accomplish. I, I will absolutely answer that, but first I wanted to say, uh, oh, this is going to be hilarious. Okay, just no, I'm uh, not what I'm about to say, but just like us trying to cross fire (laughs) and it's gonna be like a fun little wrestling match yeah uh banjo people sometimes it's hard to say whether they like the idea of banjos and talking about banjos more or like actual banjo music more and i think uh those things go hand in hand because there's so much like um it's like the banjo is this like avatar for all of this. It's this totem for all of this. I mean it's literally like that. Yeah. But uh, you know, people project so much onto it and then like want to think about the instrument just as much as the music. And I think that's really smart that you're like, yeah, like uh, I wanna make a version of this tome. <laughs>
0: Well I think I think we've all probably witnessed it with people who are just really into or like really n- love to nerd out about anything. Yes, that they f- might feel isolated in their everyday life, but when they finally get around somebody who's really on the same wavelength as yeah. them, the floodgates open and yeah. they love talking about whatever it is, you know, Star Trek or something. Yeah. And I think it's a lot the, you know, the same way and but at the same time, each interview, as you know, it goes different. Some people do talk a lot about it, and some people don't. Some some yeah. people, you need to maybe pull the information you want. Yeah, it's um,
1: like some people talk more with their instrument, and some people talk right. more with their voice, and yeah. if you get them to stop talking, they'll play their instrument, <laughs> and, and then, and then you know, out. everywhere in between, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So I'm curious to you about, uh, we, we discussed right before we started recording what I like to get out of people yes what uh what's your take on what you what, do you have a goal going into each interview of what what is the essence that you want people to li- listeners to come away with from from each interview
1: yeah well I will say and I've got my record saying this before <laughs> but and I think it's still true that like this, the podcast started just as a pretense to get to like play music with people that I like <laughs> you yeah. know and, uh, and have like a hang with them especially because like I I don't know I almost never maybe I never have I don't know I prefer not to send people away at festivals who want to come and jam I just don't have the stomach for it I can't do it um, and, I pref- and I prefer not to and, but I also really like having intimate conversations and jams one on one small group And it sort of serves as a way for me to, at festivals, have that really focused experience with someone, and uh, when I'm not at a festival, have a pretense to invite myself over to someone's house and play music with them. Okay. So, I mean, that's, like, kind of the main thing, is that, like, I had a very, you know, pure, but ultimately, like, self-centered, like, uh, reason for doing the show. It's like, I want to, like, have a good time.
0: (laughs) So... Yeah, and, and now the... Now that I'm thinking about it a little more, I guess an additional reason for me was that I I was playing and performing pretty regularly for quite a while but I I hit a spot where I wasn't. I didn't have a band, I had a family and job and and stuff like that and I I was feeling like I really just needed to make sure that I was still part of that world and still relevant. Not like I have an an ego about it but that's like what I want to do. It's part of my therapy is to be involved in, and in music, you know, yeah. so it's my way of keeping my foot in the door, even if I don't necessarily have as many performing opportunities or recording opportunities, and, and I'm always working on those things yeah. too, but it, it was just, that, that's another side benefit in addition to what I said.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think I maybe was in sort of a similar place where uh, I was just getting into old-time music actually, and then I'd only been playing for a few years. And uh, I was like trying to start bands with people And it was like kind of It's hard in general to start a band Um, But you know Trying to figure out what I was going to do with it If I wanted to do anything with it Other than just do it for fun You know And also feeling like Yeah stalling out in my own sort of musical career and, And being like Well I listen to a lot of interview podcasts And I feel like I could just do that But just Music right. room interview people as well right. right yeah same but I guess in terms of like um what I'm trying to get out with people like for the listener um, uh I want to figure out what is personal about my guests relationship to old-time music or whatever genre we're playing in it's not always old-time sometimes I'll have a scandy guest on or um uh, bluegrass, you know, or whatever. Skin
0: naming, is that what you said? Yeah.
1: I want to perform interest and in, like a sort of like pleasure oriented interrogation, you know, and and my goal is can I I think my ultimate goal is can I get my guest to say something about themselves that maybe they would struggle to say about themselves in another context. Like, uh... And then, like, enjoy what they said. And then also, secondary, would be, like, the listener getting to have that sort of information and feeling... The thing I think is cool about podcasts is, like, it's, like, a weird sort of parasocial friendship that I think is really cool. Is like, my favorite podcast is, like... when I, when I listen to them, it's like, oh, yeah, those are, like, my buds. I hang out with them uh-huh. every week. I don't say anything, <laughs> you know? But, like, I've enjoyed so much being on that end of it because that's, that's the main media that I consume is listening to podcasts. And, like, I like having relationships with people. And I try to have it not be problematic. But, you know, like, <laughs> that parasocial, like, relationship or my, like, check-in with these people, even though they don't know me, Uh, is like meaningful to me and it's so intimate because it's like I'm listening in earbuds and it's like they're right next to me and talking right into my brain and like I don't know I think that like that sort of fly on the wall kind of like energy is really exciting and typically like I like to just with my guests like have the conversation that I want to have with them as if the mic wasn't there and yeah. then, um, ideally, everyone's cool with the co- with that going public. Sometimes we have the conversation. And I take things down because they get too real or too intense, oh, wow. you know. But like, that's the conversation I want to have yeah. with these people, you know, if they'll have it with me. And it's not. I don't want it to ever be coercive, but you know, I I think there's some sort of weird voyeurism exhibition thing that I think has some sort of benefit to the medium that's like complicated, but I think is cool. And then in all time community, I get to meet these people who like listen to the show, which is also cool. And then right. it and then it makes it real, you know? So
0: yeah. Yeah, it, it uh what? Connects the circle yeah. uh, or something. It like just that. turns
1: it into a social relationship uh-huh. instead of just parasocial.
0: <laughs> How to what degree do you view yourself as Uh, providing, like, an archivist type of uh, service. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, More and more. I think once people... Once I started hearing people say, like, it's important to me that you're archiving this stuff, i was like, oh, oh, thank God, good. I guess I'm doing that. And then I think... I've had two guests die now, Hmm. and neither of them were profoundly recorded. Um, I think one of them maybe may have been like under or unrecorded. Wow. and then one of them maybe had an album or two, I think. So um, your show is literally the only it might recorded be or one of the only yeah and it's certain and I think in both cases it's the only candid kitchen music making, uh, which I think is very different. Than, um tells you different things than studio and it's also music different making.
0: hearing some even if it's the same words it's also different hearing it in somebody's voice rather than reading it yeah. in a magazine or online which which is I don't know just it's just a lot cooler
1: what 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 about for you have you gotten that sort of do you feel like you're accomplishing your goal of making that tome? that you set out to do and like is it's like yes this is the show I like want to be making and
0: yeah 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 I really do and it's uh it's heady when you take a step back and think about how many people I've talked to that I really look up to and are heroes in, in my music community uh and I I'm always flattered that they want to have anything to do with with me and being involved in it, but, you know, I've had very few people not want to be, and I don't know that I expected that at first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely. it's not that I'm not always trying to improve even more. I think my main weakness, I sort of, uh, you know, I listed before, like, I'm an okay enough banjo player, I know somewhat about... Uh, banjos and gear, I know the music pretty well. I think my main weak point was actually as an interviewer. I've never gone to journalism school. That's yeah, nothing either. I ever like tried to study. Yeah, I just threw myself into it. So that's more and more what I am trying to like develop as a skill. You know what I mean?
1: A- oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience of listening to yourself talk to people.
0: Well, I edit it so... And then you're I just like,
1: oh my god, I said that? And like, <laughs> oh, why would I ask this question? Or like, oh, I didn't catch that they were teeing me up for this, you know? And Yeah, like,
0: missed follow-ups.
1: Right. Have you, have you started like changing the way that you interact with people outside of recording them just because you've been listening so much? Have you learned about how you talk to
0: people? Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> awful. That's awful. You <laughs> learn your own Vocal ticks yeah. quite well and then when you hear them, hear yourself say them any other time, it, it just you know, it grates on you. It's course. really bad. <laughs> and I think I even I may have even said this in a podcast. So I, I, I trained myself to stop saying like as as an audible pause. Yeah, yeah. But instead of now speaking in a nice flowing continuous sentence, there's just holes. Where I would have said like, so now I tend to talk like <laughs> Captain Kirk, and I don't have any pauses. the so that's my current frustration yeah. with myself. But but even not even as much the 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 pauses, like I just said, but like just the art of interviewing, yeah. the types of questions, how to get people comfortable, and that that's something that I'm still just very very new at. Yeah. So I have a lot to learn. Yeah, I
1: I hope to continue to get better at it. Uh, I think when I started it I was like, no, I'm good at talking to people. I'm a social social person. This will be easy. And then I was like, oh, uh, when I'm not having a smooth interaction with someone where I when I have when my Speaking style or social style doesn't isn't completely compatible with someone just in the wild. Yeah, uh, that will kind of solve itself. You know, like if we're at a party, we'll go talk to other people or go do other stuff. But in an interview, <laughs> you, you, you can't go anywhere. It's a little more You're right there, and yeah. then someone has to, you know, meet the other person where they're at or meet halfway, and it's like. That's what interviewing is
0: That's your job right? Yeah
1: it's like You can't just be Charismatic You have
0: to like uh, Know how to adapt Who you are mm-hmm. Going back to what you said About you just wanted An excuse To jam with people yeah. who, Whose music you dug That was part of I think my original Concept Is that I wanted to do that and somewhere along the lines, I think I got just too sheepish about, mm. like, I felt like I was already, and maybe I shouldn't feel like this, maybe I'm just too Midwestern and I don't want to inconvenience anybody anymore than I absolutely have to, but uh, I don't know, I just felt like I was already asking a lot mm. of people to, to take their time out and to talk with me, and then I felt like it added a level of, like, presumptuousness. Of like now, you have to to play with me. What you know? Uh, let's play music together. Yeah, is that silly for me to think that way? Because I ad- I admire that you do that, and I think you do awesome. <laughs> Thank and you, and so I'm that. jealous because that's what I wanted to do. Well, but I I, I, I think you off. should
1: ju- I think you should just do it. Okay, and see what happens. Uh, but I mean, to you you're saying is that silly? And I think that's actually a very reasonable attitude to have. <laughs> And I think my attitude about it has been I don't know, like maybe even like a little out of touch and that it's just sort of worked worked out. But like even though like I'm a non-binary person I was raised with a lot of you know, male privilege and I also was for a, a very long time only child and had like a lot of golden boy kind of stuff thrown at me and my families and like, you know, just like Yeah, I've had, like, an enormous amount of sort of, like, privilege and too much encouragement that a lot of people in a lot of my shared demographics uh, have. And I think I just...
0: So you're entitled is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. I think I just have been riding on that and then doing my best to check and make sure, like, that, you know, (laughs) that people don't feel taken advantage of or, like, they're being asked to do so much. But also, you know... Yeah, just like trusting, like, yeah, people will say no if they don't want to. And if I think that maybe they won't say no, I try to detect whether or not they are trying to say no. It's a soft no. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It just... Has that happened? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been amazed at how many people are just totally down to, like, do this. I, I didn't think I'd be able to keep it going this long
0: every week. Yeah, what are you up to? You're in the several hundreds. Yeah, two hundred and
1: sixty something, at the time of reporting this. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, it's Weekly, right?
1: Yeah. I back when I had like a full time job, I would you know take Christmas off and stuff, but yeah. or take a little break, but like more or less, it's been going, you
0: know, Dang. five years. So I feel like I'm always right up against the wall, just trying to. I, mine, Me too. Every other week. <laughs> Mine's every other week. Hmm. Do you feel like you are in any danger of running out of people to talk to?
1: That's a great question. You know, I think at a certain point I was like, okay, the show's been going on long enough that I could just loop through the same set of 100 people and it would stay fresh. <laughs>
0: you have had a few repeats, And right? I have, yeah. yeah.
1: Like, Jake Blunt has been on, like, yeah. he's been on twice uh, this week um, <laughs> as, like, a... A guest host and as like a um a part of a group yeah, you know, yeah it's not the main guest but he's been on a bunch he's one of my closest friends um and then you know whatever city i'm living in i will inevitably call on those people you know like hey like i need to record someone let's just hang out and play some tunes you know yeah. and then uh I'll have do you move around on. quite a bit no, um, just like I started in Philly and I live in Portland now. And I'm staying in Portland, Oregon now. Um, yeah. But uh, in those times when I lived in Philly, Chris Dalnadar was a local fiddler there yeah. that I loved playing with and I was in a band with at, at one point. And I don't know, he was on three or four times and the Hawkinson sisters have been on multiple times in Portland and okay. Joel Brown and Colin Stackhouse. So yeah, uh, I love having people on more than once, especially if they're, like, my buds or if they have other things to say or projects that they're working on. Yeah, yeah sure. so, yeah. What, what about you? Are you concerned about running out of banjoists who want to
0: be interviewed? And No, just because, you know, time tends to make more banjoists, for one thing. That's a great point. Uh, <laughs> so if I stall long enough... No, I, I have no shortage, <laughs> and, I, and I've recently... Branched out to start doing more clawhammer players. Oh, right! For on. the longest time, it was just bluegrass. Did you not we're... want
1: to do clawhammer players?
0: It's not. I didn't want to do clawhammer players, but it was more just out of my own naivety.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: I didn't think I could ask. I don't know the repertoire. I don't know the major players or bands yeah. in that world. I don't know intelligent questions to ask. Hey. So I was—I just was feeling um, there's no way I could prepare as well for that as as I feel like I can prepare for mm. people who I'm more familiar with. Or do you feel more
1: prepared now
0: for that? No, but <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I'm willing to just take the chance. Yeah. And so so far it's gone great. Maybe I've just lucked out and had really wonderful players. And I just I I make it clear to them right off the bat that. I have some level of ignorance and I just try to listen to their music enough to know, to see what catches my ear and maybe ask them about that. Like, oh, that that song seems to have a lot of cool techniques and I don't know what they are, but yeah. you, you can tell me. So yeah. Go ahead. What the hell did just right.
1: happened? <laughs> right. That's an easy question to, you can always ask. <laughs> what was that? What was that? Explain yourself, sometimes I'll say. <laughs> I've said that too. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious. you got to have that, like, you know... Uh, adversarial relationships. Yeah. Relationship. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we okay. play another tune?
0: Yeah. I oh, want just Sturgeon.
2: Yeah,
0: great. Uh, Can you play that uh, in A? A. A. Alright, hopefully. Hopefully, we kind of
2: play this the same. Yeah, we'll see if we have the.
1: I'm glad you know Jeff Sturgeon. Do they play that in bluegrass circles? No. Yeah, well, thanks really. for picking I, it I, all. I time. I don't too. even know why I know it.
0: Yeah. Just, those, Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Root's music. Check out the courses they have, and this is just for banjo. You could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky. The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo, with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month's free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff they're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere and we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments elderly instruments has been family owned since 1972 and if you can't make it to their lansing michigan showroom you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS Strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there.
1: How did you get started playing the banjo? Damn
0: it! (laughs) I got got started playing the banjo because in college I went to MSU and one of my uh, best friends was from Mobile, Alabama and she was moving her mom out of a house that her mom had lived in for like 20 years and I I had already been a guitar player so she knew I was into playing guitars and stuff like that and she found an old banjo at her mom's house as they were moving out that I don't even think she knew was there. Mm. Uh but in the process was like, oh, Keith uh, likes playing instruments. I'll, I'll bring this back to him. And oh, you're in Portland now, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with the restaurant called CoQueen? No or something like that? Oh, what is that? Okay, so this friend of mine, she's she's become like a world class like beard award winning chef. And she's worked at, like, fancy restaurants cool. in New Orleans and Paris and San Francisco. Yeah. And, and now she has her own place in Portland. I'll oh, check it which out. Which you should totally go to. A, Every once in a while, I'll her. go
1: to a fancy restaurant. Yeah. That sounds great.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's the best. But anyway, so she, she brought me a banjo. So it literally came to me. I had never considered uh, playing it, but, but she brought it back. When, when was this? This was while you were in at, at MSU. Oh. At MSU, yeah. Uh, so like year 2000-ish, yeah. something like that, when I was 21 is when I got started. So so it came to me, and I, I just fell in love with it right away. I started playing, and I'm sure pissed off a lot of my college roommates. But there was actually a pretty supportive community. There was sort of like a folk sure. uprising kind of thing like there was a a really popular local band that did a lot of like um you know they were a popular bar band but they kind of did a leftover salmon type of thing where they did like cajun music and bluegrass and stuff so it was kind of like a cool music again yeah in my community so not only did i enjoy playing it but i i actually saw an avenue because i was an okay guitar player but i wasn't i wasn't going to be like the best guy in town but Maybe I could be the, the banjo guy. Yeah, not. right on. And yeah, there wasn't really one of those. So, I, I do love the banjo and I love playing the banjo. But I think even more than that, I love just playing music with people. So, any
1: you saw like maybe there was an opportunity for you to fill a specific kind of role.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, as a banjo guy.
0: Yeah,
1: when maybe there was a surplus of guitar guys.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, another case in point was like, even after I started getting pretty serious about the banjo, I joined a Pink Floyd tribute band, not playing banjo, playing like guitars and saxophones and keyboards and all that stuff. And I didn't particular, you know, I, I was a banjo player by that point. I didn't particularly, I like Pink Floyd, but I didn't love Pink Floyd, and I didn't want to go back to playing guitar, but... It was an opportunity to play, like, really cool rock and roll shows. Yeah. And so I was willing to to do that just to be a part of, yeah. like, putting on a cool show. And I, I just liked being a, a part of things. I appreciate it and relate to that. <laughs> yeah. When did you start playing, and, and how did how did you find that? Oh,
1: I think it was, you know, kind of kind of similar in some ways, you know, just like I was playing guitar. And, was this in Philly? Uh, no, I grew up in Oregon, and um, oh. I picked up... Banjo. I actually, my first kind of banjo mentor, not my first teacher, but my first person who, like, really like gave me music to listen to and tried to steer me towards trad music, uh, if for no other reason than it might better inform my playing and, you know, and yeah. my whatever music I decided to make, um, was Bill Jolliffe. Uh, you may know Jake Jolliffe, the Is man? That? Yeah. I guess I knew him at the time to be maybe one of the only... I grew up Quaker, and I went to George Fox University, and George Fox is the founder of Quakerism. Oh. Uh, Awful school. In terms of, like, you know, it's a conservative Christian school, and, like, they uh, are up to some nonsense there, and it seems sometimes to be getting worse. However, Bill Jolliffe was... uh, my poetry professor and I studied American lit with him uh-huh. and I took an advantage independent study with him. And he was one of the, I think one of the, the Quakers, one of the few actual Quakers there. And then one of the few people that I knew to be a Quaker that actually, I think valued what, <laughs> and, and walked the walk, you know? Yeah. About I, what I that wanted it, to ask yeah. you about
0: this anyway. So you said it's, it's a Quaker school, but then you said it's really conservative Christian. Did you say that? And yeah, explain to me the, that, that, that seems inconsistent to me so how does Quakerism fit into? Sort of, uh, yeah Christian
1: I mean it's a whole it's a whole thing so like I don't know what happened but it's like not it's not a Quaker school anymore and there happen to be a few Quaker kind of like communities in the school or a few like few representatives that are among the staff and some leadership. But mostly it's just sort of like a mainline like conservative Christian not the worst it's not like a Westboro Baptist vibe there by any means you know they're uh, I think they want to appear uh, very accepting and and, you know and they'll go to great lengths to talk about how much they care about their like you know trans students who they won't live where they who they won't let live where they want to and things like that you know um but Bill Jolliffe it's really cool and was uh, a great professor and mentor and, like, would, you know, talked to me about my Clawhammer playing and three-finger playing when I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do Warrior? that. Yeah, oh, th- yeah. Well, my first teacher was Michinobu Imori, who was the double-reads, like, adjunct, or maybe even just guest professor, teacher at... Uh, at george fox in the music program like he mostly taught double reads and i took a semester of banjo with him because he happened to be yeah a banjo player he learned in japan and uh from like a book and recordings and then came over and people were like wow you sound great <laughs> you sound like a west virginia clawhammer player you know he's like, yeah oh, he, and he played clawhammer. hammer he, he played clawhammer. he played plectrum style he played three oh, finger wow. played everything and he just gave me like a sample platter of like here's all the stuff you could do you figure out what you want to do and yeah hey he was a really cool guy he uh he he would wear these uh these button-down white uh shirts that he had tie-dyed and like he, he and he was like a you know oboe player and a banjo player and like he was like he's a character that's a really
0: awesome i should image. reconnect
1: with him <laughs> he's probably still in portland so yeah, yeah that,
0: that sounds totally awesome so, it so yeah it sounds pretty similar Pick, picked it up in college <laughs> i and...
1: guess yeah i guess a lot of those details are really different but like i was doing songwriting and banjo uh, guitar playing yeah. and i was like oh i want to like play banjo because uh, it seems like it isn't as ubiquitous and like i might serve some different functions in musical yeah. settings and you know Uh, Little did I know that, like, you know, when I eventually get into playing old-time music, like, there's so many banjo players, you know, and usually that's what there's too many of in a jam, in my experience, you know. Yeah. Not that I have any issue with that. I love a a banjo full jam, but, you know.
0: So so, something, one of the things that really fascinates me about your show... Okay. is, ...is your apparent ability to pick up on... You know, you, you get half a dozen tunes thrown at you every week, and it's really impressive how well you seem, seem to adapt. your are playing into, into all of it. Thanks. Like, it's it's great. Uh, to what do you attribute your ability to do that, or... or they're more like behind the scenes stuff than maybe the listeners realize
1: yeah so when I first started I would like I had like this like google form that I would have my guests fill out you know and I thought that every episode would be like edutainment and you know that I would have time to practice each tune before I'd be totally ready and that the conversations would be about like a specific region of you know like I'd have, like, Harry Bullock on, and we would talk about Mississippi fiddle tunes, you know, or whatever. And then eventually it was like, well, that's not sustainable, and there's all these other people that I want to interview that would never fill out a Google form in their life and uh, cannot be made to commit to a tune list. Um, And eventually I figured out... uh, Oh, and then also, like, don't have anything particular to say other than they just want to have a cool conversation and hang and play tunes and that's great too you know but as far as learning tunes goes uh, you know it used to be more like we'd have like a jam beforehand uh, just to sort of warm up get to know each other musically and okay. then I would hit record and then um, a lot of the time it would be first take and then sometimes it would be like I don't know sometimes it, if it was like a really hard tune it would be like you know four or five you okay. know times of me struggling through it but anymore what we generally do on the show is like what we're doing now today which is just like we'll try out the tune and then with the understanding that maybe that's a dry run where i get i figure out how the tune basically goes and i just try to get to the point where i'm not being distracting uh or if i am being distracting from my guest playing it's because i'm doing a fun thing that hopefully my guest will respond to Right, right you know what i mean like but not just like wow cameron's Bless their heart. They're trying so hard. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. know, like, I don't want it to be that. Sometimes it is, inevitably. But yeah, just doing the show for over and over and over and, you know, learning six tunes a week, uh, learning heavy air quotes, you know. But, uh, but then I would say before that, like, I went to school for music and I did ear training and music theory and stuff. But I would say the biggest thing that probably had an impact outside of just playing a lot of old time music on my old-time music, would be, um, I had this choir director, Vance Seeley, uh, who, in in high school, who every day in choir, and I was in multiple choirs, so t- sometimes it was multiple times a day, mm-hmm. he would have us do movable dome solfege exercises. Does this mean anything to you? Barely. So, like...
0: So, like, solfeggio. Yeah. is...
1: You go ahead and say it. <laughs> sure, yeah. Everyone knows uh, <laughs> a Do a deer, morning. a female right, right. deer, right. right. etc. Um, it's that scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, Do. Um, in Europe and other places, you know, they use a fixed Do system, which means they don't say A B C D E F G. You know, it's like C is Do, and it's always Do, you know. Uh, so that's what they use to refer to notes or maybe they'll use c instead of t or whatever there's different versions of it but in the u.s when we use solfege we use movable dough which means that do mean the can be whatever dough. we want yeah, it to be it's yeah, the roots it's the yeah. first note of whatever scale that you're in so um it's great for learning relative pitch and learning your intervals I see. and uh we would do exercises in that. And the one that probably helped the most other than like sight reading in solfege would be, uh, this one where we would go, um, do do di do do di re do do di re 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 do do di re re me poppy so see la li ti do ti ta la la so safe on me me re rah do. You know we'd go up and down to each one, and then we go do do ti do do ti te di do do ti ta la li ti do, and then do ti ta la so safe on me me re ra do do di re re me poppy so see la li ti do. And we, you know, run out of breath, but we would like go over every chromatic note. And as long as you're staying in relatively diatonic music, um, it falls apart, I think, when you try to do jazz. Uh, but if you're sticking to music that stays in one key at a time, then... Uh,
0: like most old time. Well, they, yeah, like most, most old
1: time. Yeah. Yeah, right. Especially, yeah, old time is 90%, you know, uh, major pentatonic scale. Right. And then some major scale. And then some other modes. And modes of the pentatonic scale. But it's pretty simple, you know, in terms of... You don't have to change keys constantly. And, yeah. So, I just... Yeah, I was like boot camp for four years. You know, just like learning how diatonic music works and building a virtual instrument in my brain and my voice that could serve as a bridge between me and whatever instrument I was studying. So.
0: Yeah, but even knowing the, the, the relative notes that you're working with if you hear a fiddle tune and you know exactly what notes those are at least relatively yeah laying it out on a banjo fingerboard is still like an extra step yeah at least to me totally yeah Uh, you know most and and especially once you get into the fact that that you old-time players have a whole bunch of different tunings available so something like Farewell Tryon. Yeah, I don't know. Are you using double C or are you using drop, just drop C? I, I and decided that might be a question that you don't well, know yeah. right away. Like when you, even when you hear the tune, you don't know if it's going to lay out better on one or the other. Like yeah, Maybe. when we were
1: when we were doing like a sound check, uh, I was trying to play out a standard tuning for Farewell Tryon. It had been a while since I did it. There's a bunch of big position switches in that tune because it has a huge range. Yeah. So I was trying to play along in standard. I was like, you know what? I already know how to do this in double C, like mountain tuning, some people call it. So I'm just going to do that instead. And so that's what I did. And it worked out fine. Um, it's still been a while since I played it. But, uh, you know, I try to simplify the amount of tunings that I use. So typically I'll use standard G for a lot of stuff if I can. Um, I'll use standard G for... With, you know, changing the fifth string, of course. Um, I'll use it for G, for C, for D, for F, for B-flat, for A minor, for different minor modes. Uh, And then I'll use standard A for A, any A minor, any A mode. Um, Sometimes for D, in a pinch, I'll use it for G. If I'm playing a tune that, like, I was playing... um, a uh, an, a traditional like New Mexico tune that changed keys three times in each section, and then there yeah there's a section in like A, G, and D, and I forget what I did with it, but like I went I had to figure out is it going to be better for me to be in A tuning, and then like play G in A tuning or the other way around? Right. I don't remember what I did, but you know
0: like that <laughs> yeah there's yeah. there's some amount of. Uh, Translation that needs to happen yeah. from, from the sound of it to the mechanics, yeah.
1: and then uh, I'll use double C or double D for just like straight up old time raging stuff okay. that where maybe I can't fully bang away and do the thing that I'm supposed to do unless I'm in one of those tunings that's very open,
0: it's you know comfort zone more or less. Yeah, sounds like
1: yeah. Well, it depends. If I'm playing old time, sometimes that's the best option. And then I have a little bit less flexibility with it because those are super unintuitive uh, tunings. I think, yeah. especially for moving past the fifth fret, because anytime you have a major second between the first and second yeah. strings, yeah,
2: that's so small. That's
1: the most common uh, movement, you know, a, a whole step, you know, in music. Most. Movement in a melody is going to be a major second. So that means you have to like lay down a bar, break your finger position, you know, or do something or skip a note. What the hell's going on out there?
0: I think they heard our last tune in their chair.
1: <laughs> so like a major, oh a major God. second, a whole step is the most common, you know, movement in a melody, which means that if you're playing it on the first two strings, then you have to like lay down a bar or break your left hand position in order to play that melody or start skipping notes. Mm-hmm. You got to skip notes all the time in old time music. That's part of the job of uh, playing claw hammers. You're not supposed to play all of the notes most of the time, or you're supposed to play different pathways. So that's expected. But anytime you skip a note, you have to sort of make a decision and it requires a certain amount of sort of like musical wisdom to know which note is important and which note do you skip. That deci- decision making is really hard, especially if you're navigating a different tuning and then physically it's harder. So I try to like simplify when I can. I'll play in uh, yeah, in the standard. The st- standard G mm-hmm, um, yeah. and I found it's really helpful in playing other traditions because they use different pathways and there is a weird kind of logic to standard G tuning, you know? If you're playing music that's based at all in triads or scales, you know, you can learn how those shapes fall. And uh, most of the time, you only have to play, you know, one or two notes consecutively on a single string. Um, And
0: uh, it's not too hard to navigate uh, in this tuning. Can you think of... The the tune that has been suggested by your interview subject over these years and all these episodes that was the most difficult for you to adapt to? Probably that episode with Lone Pinon,
1: where they were doing traditional New Mexican music, where I was having to learn, yeah, New Mexican folk music, which was like I had to change keys a bunch, and then I had to play these lines that had different pathways. And then old time music, you know, probably either that or some of the nickel harpa stuff that I had to play. Oh yeah. Um, every once in a while I'll get asked to play a jig and those are really hard with claw oh, Hammer. I, yeah. That's going to be a nightmare. But yeah, but that I... one tune from Lone Pinot, I don't remember what it's called, uh, okay. but uh, that was really hard. I And they gave it to me in advance because it was going to be for a live audience at this festival. Oh, so like when that happens... Um, when I get to do that, which I love doing, um, I'm like, send me
0: the tunes in advance. I, yeah. First takes only. <laughs> Why does New Mexico have such a unique folk music tradition? Is is this like a, a Native American type of tradition or like a, a Mexican influenced?
2: Like I, I, I haven't
0: sure. heard what you're talking about, so I don't.
1: Sure. Yeah. I would say I at least project commonalities between a lot of Southwest U.S. and Mexican music. Yeah. And to some extent... No, I mean, basically it stops there. Then once you get to like Guatemala and Colombia, it's totally different. Um, Not that I've had any of those musicians on my shows. I've just listened to that music for fun because it rules. Uh, But like Mexican and then Southwest... Music And then t- maybe in some ways, to some extent, some indigenous U.S. and Canada, you know, area music, I can at least project some commonalo- commonalities between all of that uh-huh. stuff. So I think that there's some stuff there. I can't necessarily speak on that, but um, I would say that in this case, Mon Pignon's whole whole thing is that they play hyper-regional music that is crooked and quirky in the way changes keys and yeah and changes keys and yeah it was the specificity of it that from what I understand they were telling me after the like while we were all hanging out afterwards at this festival um they're telling me that like mariachi music is kind of like bluegrass in that there's kind of a canon that you have to know what the canon is Mm -hmm. in order to be able to participate in it and the idea is that you you learn this repertoire, and as long as you know this basic repertoire, you can kind of hang in. You can get a job anywhere. Um, but what the repertoire is made of is the old time musics of different communities and areas in, you know, the Southwest and in Mexico, and the, you know those original versions are weird and crooked and quirky, um, but the edges are sort of rounded off in order to make it this um, uh, you know interchangeable parts and yeah you know, yeah, I don't know if that's fair to like uh, if that's actually a good comparison to like bluegrass versus all time, but I think it's sort of a
0: similar kind of thing maybe. So speaking of, of bluegrass, we're having this discussion during the, the IBMA yeah International Bluegrass Music Association convention. Which you wouldn't know by the the background music. Here, <laughs> we'll see how much is, of that comes through. Which is another story altogether, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm curious what brought you you here because you are an old time music podcast you're an old time musician, and although there is a lot of crossover, it, it might just be, I guess, just a little bit surprising that you would want to to come here. So what what did you view as your? Uh, Goal or what opportunities did you see?
1: Uh, a lot of answers. The main and sort of first answer was just like I miss hanging out with Jake and Jake Blunt. I hadn't seen him in two years oh, awesome. since Clifftop, two thousand and nineteen, I think. And uh, we sort of missed connections. Like I was going to try to go to Berkeley Old Time to hang out with him, that because that's a late September festival. And then I was going to try to see if he could come okay. to Harry Smith for all, of up in Massachusetts in July. And he was busy then. And he's like, why don't you just come to uh, IBM? I know it's, like, a little intimidating, but, like, there's a lot of old-time musicians here. Yeah. And there's, you yeah. know... You'll at least have some friends. Yeah. And I was like, great. I'll just plan on doing that. I'm so starved for social stuff anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: And also, I want to, like, hang out with you oh. and... Uh, crammed in this little weird little airbnb all week with yeah Yeah, so yeah uh that was kind of like the main first reason why i wanted to come and then also i was like i could interview people while i'm here it'd be great to actually stock up some interviews instead of i'm sure you can relate to this living like episode to episode you know like who am i gonna get during the you know during the pandemic
0: it's hard to stock it all up Yeah, yeah when it's all remote so how has it been for you Uh, in regards to not only getting to socialize and hang with friends, but having a couple opportunities for the show. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been
1: great. Yeah. I would love to like, you know, maybe at some point be like invited (laughs) to like, like I have a band uh, that that's the other thing, tall poppy string band that has an album coming out next year. And, you know, it's expensive to be here. It would be great to like have a showcase or something next year, but like, I would love to do it again because I've been having a great time Uh, and I've only done old time music jams or like jams like this with like you know old time curious bluegrass musicians (laughs) like yourself yeah don't tell anybody yeah and so I haven't had to worry about like ruining some bluegrass jam because there's been so many great uh, old time jams
0: happening yeah yeah so no it's been awesome as much as I imagine you learn from all of your guests and having to to keep up with All the repertoire that they're throwing at you—is there some part of you that feels like that interferes with maybe your own personal, uh, not not growth on the instrument because that is is growth, having to adapt. But like I don't know if you compose music or if you were trying to forge in another direction, and and now you're too preoccupied having to prepare for all these shows. That is—is there another aspect that is being neglected?
1: because of that wow that's a that's a great question uh sometimes i think about that like when i'm thinking about what what do i want to be working on in my like life or in my career or in my playing in my musicianship you know like sometimes i think like oh yeah i need to like work on my fiddling so that i can like do more fiddling on the show so that i can have a more specific things to offer to like you know guitarists or banjo players instead of um, just playing banjo duets or um, guitar backing up of banjo, you know, like, yeah, I would love to be better at the fiddle, you know, and then I catch myself thinking about that and like, yeah, because that would make the show better. And then I'll come to IBMA and just like watch people shred and Um, think like, I need to get better at playing the banjo because that's like my instrument. And I want, (laughs) you know, like I want to like improve and like, Uh, get to the next level, you know, best. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like full throttle. What do I want to be, you know, like a podcaster who's like, can jam in any sort of setting or fill any niche. Or do I want to like be better at like, like a higher level musician for some reason, uh, or for fun or so that I can have other kinds of opportunities, you know? So like, yeah, I, I go back and forth between all of that. Just like, Oh, I want to be a better, you know, community leader and you know, like, in Portland and, like, be more plugged in there for old-time music or I want to, like, have the podcast be better or I want to be uh, more technically proficient on the banjo or more adventurous, you know, and, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I kind of chip away at all of those. I don't think I ever could just decide on one thing anyway. Like, I, I typically do things in
0: seasons uh so it kind of works itself out (laughs) you've removed a lot of like the burden of decision making from yourself sure yeah i I can (laughs) i I can appreciate that
1: and it's nice to have it is nice to have the podcast because it's like that's like the that's like an anchor you know and like uh i think i would be really stressed out if i had to like Hustle to figure out each gig, you know,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: like. But it's like, or even even just like socially. um If I, you know, Clifftop, when I go there, it's like the first couple of years I didn't have the podcast when I was going there, and I'd have a few like freakouts, and that's like not uncommon for people who go there and stay like the whole week. Freakouts about what? Just about being in a place with five thousand people, uh. and just like. I don't know, vibes and like getting in your own head about like having imposter syndrome or whatever, or like drama or like, even if everything's going great, just like I need to like, I need some space. Just intense. Yeah. it's And the noise, you know, and I'm like a really extroverted person. I love being around people. I want to party. I want to stay up late. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, I can't handle that. But like having like the show is like, I have one thing that I have to like show up for every day. And that means that there's, like, a structure that I can sort of, like, fall into or adjust for. Or say, like, oh, I'm going to stop partying tonight because I'm getting overwhelmed and I need to be able to, like, form cohesive sentences for my interview tomorrow. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I think for the fact that we're doing this on the last day of IBMA, uh, kudos to both of us for... Absolutely. I I think we're both mostly coherent, it seems like. (laughs) not a stammering mess. Like, yeah. Uh, you know,
2: that,
0: that is in the range of potential outcomes that could have happened. Uh, and, uh... Yeah. I think it's okay. Well, let's play an r Okay. Um, let's there's... Think. It's just an Avalon quick step. Oh, yeah. There's that one. Go for that one. I, I would probably... No, uh, that's great.
1: tune uh avalon quickstep
0: it's such a, like an old time deep
1: cut it's so great
0: yeah I, where'd I, you learn it a good friend of mine uh that i used to play a lot of music with Derek smith who's a really good okay. multi-instrumentalist you know i don't, don't expect you know who he is he's, he's just a, a dude no. who i worked with but he was yeah. he was a really good musician and yeah. turned me on to a lot of good music yeah. and that was one that i think we were riding around in his truck and came on his stereo and caught our ears and we're like, yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to learn that one. It's that B part. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and I love trying to teach it to people and watching their like brains what? turn upside down. <laughs> 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 Which has yeah. happened to me on the other, so I know how they feel because I've been on the other side of that.
1: Because there, it's something, something about it, to me, I think feels very natural, but
0: it's pretty crooked. Yeah, and once weird. you get it, yeah. it it's can't be any other way. <laughs> no, I love that too.
1: Okay, let me ask you a question. You got me talking for a while. You're ahead so far in the, the, All right, are the we keeping you know. score. Do we have the talent? <laughs> Only because I want to make sure that I get to ask you questions. Um, of the people you've re- interviewed, who was like the most like personally like Oh wow, this is a get. For me, like this is someone who I like love listening to and uh, it's like a personal like goal to like what it would be cool someday to get this person on the
0: show. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Let me I I have a few ideas, but let me mentally go through my list just to make sure I'm not overlooking like
2: a a more obvious one. (laughs) Right, right.
1: No, I just... That's why I said, like, who's the biggest... Now, I'm not saying who's the biggest cat. I'm saying who's, like, for you that, like, oh, wow, like, this is someone I, like, was on my list of, like, someday, you know? Right.
0: Okay, so for at least three reasons, Alan Mundy. Okay, I don't know Alan Mundy. Alan Mundy, uh, he's... Well, he's... He's a legendary bluegrass player. He was featured in that Masters of the Five-String banjo book, so he's been around... A long time. yes yeah. he's played with a lot of uh, really well-known bluegrass bands, and has just in, influenced, you know, yeah. a couple generations now of players. How did you phrase it? Who was my biggest like biggest personal get? get? Okay, like so. So he was a huge influence on me when when I started learning and and start devouring all the music. He was he was definitely heavy rotation in my CD collection was some Alan Mundy records. So so that meant a lot. He also was the first... He's one of my early episodes, like episode, I don't know, four or six or something like that. So it it was also a huge deal to me because I felt like he really validated what I was doing. And he was going... not, Not that I look at this purely... Opportunistically, but in some way, sure. the fact that Alan Mundy was on my show yeah. gave me a bit a really uh, uh, nice feather in my cap going forward. When you're um, asking people, and exactly, be like,
1: you could listen to an episode of the show.
0: How about Alan Mundy? If Alan Mundy did yeah. it, surely it's okay with yeah. for for you to do it yeah. because who are you know? <laughs> so so that was a huge deal. And then my question to you about how. To, to what degree you felt like an archivist. Hmm. Alan is up there in age. Yeah. We, we don't have decades more of of being able to hang out with him and listening to his music. So it was really meaningful for me to like have a little more of him on uh, um, record yeah. and his yeah. voice telling his stories. And he has great stories and he's a great storyteller. So it, yeah. it turned out to be a great episode with someone who I respected, who I, I helps me in, in a yeah. lot of ways. So it, he comes to mind. Some other ones that come to mind like Tony Trishka. I, I'm yeah. a huge fan of his. He was he was Bela Fleck's teacher for for people who don't aren't familiar with him. So he he hasn't had quite the acclaim as Bela, but for Banjo Circles, you know he's he's right in that category of like really trailblazing kind of yeah. kind of dudes, and he's he's a big influence on me. Uh, Chris Pandolfi of the String Dusters, I've just been a personal fan of of his music for a long time, so it was it was that one was really cool, and he's a really cerebral guy, so he's a fun one to pick his brain about. He's one of those people who no detail is too small. Like, everything he yeah. does is thought out. Yeah. And it's fun to hear what the train of thought is behind some of the things he does. Yeah. So, th- I mean, in some way or another, I've enjoyed all of them. Like, seriously. But but those are the ones that, that come to mind. Especially Alan. He's one of those people that's just universally respected. Yeah. Universally liked. Friendly dude. So, yeah. That's so
1: great that and you were honey. able to get him on so early. And yeah, that (laughs) That was very
0: confirming for you. Yeah, absolutely. That was a real sink or swim type of moment. Like if I I sent out a lot of these invites to people like Alan Mundy and they had started either turning me down or not responding, I probably would have just given up. Yeah. My first few episodes were with really good banjo players, but they were my friends. Yeah. So... They, they probably felt a little obligated. Sure. And so that's, that's fine. Sure. That, that gets me started. Thanks, friends. <laughs> little proof of concept, maybe. But he, he was the first one that I had to really just come come knocking on the door and see what would happen. Right. And, and it worked out. So that gave me a lot of confidence yeah. and uh, validation. Yeah. Are there any uh,
1: aspirational future gets? Can we manifest this now on the podcast?
0: Like, who do you want to get on the show? Who hasn't been on yet? Oh, well, well, there are realistic ones and there are unrealistic ones. So among the realistic ones, uh, Bela Fleck has not been on the show. Yeah. I'm actively trying toward that, and I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously confident that, that that'll happen eventually. Yeah. There are a few, a few guys from the first generation, or maybe, you know, depending on where you draw the lines, like, second generation of, like, bluegrass legends, really. Hmm. Uh, they're up there in age. People like Sonny Osborne and J.D. Crowe. They're, like, octogenarians. Yeah. They don't really leave their house as much. So, And they don't have anything to prove. They don't have anything to publicize. So, in other words, they, they don't have much reason to just talk to this, like, Yankee kid who yeah. wants to come talk to them about... Bluegrass and they don't leave their house. At least this is this is all secondhand. Yeah. This, is, this is what I've heard is, is is the situation. So I don't I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope that uh those will happen, but but that would be really special. Those are the ones that come to mind. Some other ones I've I've tried a little bit for people like uh Rihanna Giddens. Yeah. I would love someone like that. Yeah. And she has proven a little bit hard to to reach. She's a busy lady. She's a busy lady, and she's really popular. <laughs> and so, the, the more popular someone is, the more barriers there are yeah. to, to access. Yeah, someone like that would be great. Um, th- those are the ones that that come to mind, I guess, for me. Right those ones. Yeah, I hope you. I hope they get on your show. that,
1: that would be great. I would love to listen to those interviews. Call me Bella. Call yeah. me Rhiannon
0: <laughs> Should um, we
1: should we play another tune?
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Daily's Daily's real. Right. Okay. Two, three.
0: try my hardest that's a that's a tricky one be flat out of open tuning on a tune that you're not uh, you know well yeah. practiced on so no that's impressive well thanks that's cool <laughs> uh,
1: I love your banjo playing I love your uh, really thanks yeah I am flattered I love yours too I don't get to listen to Three Finger very often it's a real treat and you huh. um, it's one of those things you are talking about it's like I don't know how to put my finger on all of what's going on but um it's a, it's a very particular tone on your banjo and in your technique and I don't know exactly what it is there's like a you know like I was just listening to is her name B.B. Bowness yeah from I love and hers Bebe. is just like it's like a coffee percolator it's like and it's like and all of her ideas are like genius um, yeah. but like the the tu- the timbre is like just so soft and like like little bubbles and and then others are just like nasty and I don't exactly know what it is that you're doing, but it feels really different from, um, like, the Poe Ramblin' Boys, like I also oh, heard this week, you know? yeah. Okay. Um, I know, I think maybe you're doing some more, like, melodic shapes and stuff as opposed to just doing roll things and you're using the rolls to fill in the spots. Yeah. Are you using those, isn't there someone named Keith who does melodic things uh, other than you? Isn't there another Keith?
0: Where, there's Bill Keith. Bill Keith, who, who, that's what it who's, is. Who's yeah, a, a very, very much credited with yeah, with popularizing and and developing the melodic style. Uh, which, it, it, when I say melodic style or scrug style, does that does that mean something to you? Yeah,
1: isn't the like the melodic style like something like <laughs> if you wanted to play a major scale, you would go like. It's super sweaty for me to do it. It, Sorry, I'm in a weird tuning, but something like that, right? Exactly. You're trying to get as many strings ringing at the same time as possible, exactly. And so you do these like wacky shapes, yeah, with open
0: strings, really wacky shapes, and it really hurts your brain, yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Because typically, when you if you start on a note and then you want a higher pitch, yeah. You're either going to go up on the fret on that same string, or you're going to go up a string, right? Right. But in melodic style, often to get a higher pitch, you're going down a string. That stresses me out. (laughs) And you already are dealing with a banjo that has the highest pitch string on what would on any other instrument be the bass section of, of the strings. So all of this combines for yeah, just some real mental. Frustration at first, but but when you get good at it, you you get like almost harp like. Yeah. Uh, didn't do that very well. Bam. Yeah. And that's where where things can ring out. Yeah. And it's a much more fiddly. Yeah. Type of approach, so it's it's good for playing fiddle tunes. That, yeah. That's that's usually where you hear that stuff. It's uh-huh. for fiddle tune playing um, and to, to address your your other comment someone like the Poe Ramblin' boys so my, my banjo is is set up the the head is I would not call it loose but it's looser than someone like the Poe Ramblin boys would have because they have this very bright blistering kind of yeah. sound. Yeah. Yeah something like that, and I'm picking very close to the bridge, and right. it's a really common tool and, uh, you know, effective strategy, especially for playing stuff like we've been playing, where I will pick much closer to the right. neck, and you can hear how the tone changes, you know, it, it gets a lot mellower, Yeah. so, for a thing, yeah. dare say almost closer to like an open back sure yeah sound
2: yeah
1: yeah because a lot yeah. of that's where a lot of claw hammer players play that's yeah what? right
2: you
0: have a scooped yeah. neck and that that's exactly why because yeah. you you get a more plunky effect out of it so thanks I, i'm a big fan of what you do this is a Oof. real hoot to hear the twin yeah uh, banjo <laughs> styles on some of these it's yeah, there's cool. such a like,
1: um, there's this like rhythmic game and tension between this in this kind of duet, you know, right. and, like just like the the hemiolas of like three finger banjo yeah, playing, yeah. and then the the boom chuck of
0: yeah, uh, and claw
1: hammer, and then trying to make them
0: like fit together. It's it's fun. Yeah, it's and it's hard. If we, to if we had like maybe a couple more sessions or something or or run throughs of these two and i i I imagine we would both start to hear different things of how they can
1: we could be the next bailiff like an abigail washburn the next (laughs) cross-genre power couple (laughs) market
2: market
0: heard it here first
1: uh this is normally the part in my show like before the last tune where i would say like where do you want people to go to follow you know support what you do or keep track of what you do and all that stuff. Uh, before we do that, is there, is there anything else that like you need to like ask me in order for your show, like bullet points to be
0: taken care of? Like I'm very um, unregimented. I mean, I do do have a lot of recurring types of questions. That's just just how it has, has evolved. It's not that I need to ask those, those questions. What I would most like to know, I, I'm, I'm looking at your picks that you have. Yeah, we talked about And gear. I wanted to ask you about, yeah, yeah. yeah, gear, or, I mean, it's unusual. Claw hammerists, sometimes they'll use, like, a finger pick, turned <clears throat> backwards or something like that. But you have, I don't know, tell us what you have. So these are sitar mizrab. Yeah. They're the finger picks
1: that sitar players use, I guess. Like, I haven't watched that much classical Indian music. Like, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a sitar played correctly up close, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, basically if I were to describe them, I think it's one piece of wire Mm -hmm. that is wrapped in such a way that there is a, um, uh, there is a, a triangle that sort of follows the shape of your finger. Um, most people And it's perpendicular to your nail. That's the... sort of the
0: key. Yeah, most people, when they
1: try to put it on, they'll try to put it, like, Uh, parallel parallel to the nail. Yeah, Yeah, but it's perpendicular to the nail. And the idea is that you can go both directions and it'll have the same basic tone. Um, And the reason I use these is because I use up-picking in my claw hammer stroke without breaking the claw hammer motion. So, like, if you ever were, like watch a claw hammer player, you know, it's hard to tell what they're doing because um, it's sort of a subtractive technique, more like chiseling away than it is like, you know, like my impression is that most of the time when you're playing three finger, you move a finger when it's time to hit a string and you don't move a finger when you don't want it to hit a string. Right? Like, maybe there's a little bit of, like...
0: Are, you, are we talking right-hand technique now? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Economy of motion yeah. is is definitely a thing. Claw Especially hammer. once you get into really speedy bluegrass playing, any wasted movements is just
1: dragging down. I can only imagine. Down. Yeah. <laughs> Clawhammer is uh, more like flat picking in that you, most of the time, are going bang, 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 bang. You're constantly doing this motion... Um, and you know, just like with flat picking, when you, uh, don't want it to sound like this, you move your hand away, but you still move your hand. Right. So claw hammer is the same way. There's like four possible, uh, sorry, I still am in this weird tune. So like, you know, there's the people sometimes refer to it as the bumpa ditty, you know, you have in each old time beat you, you can do two downstrokes which means that you have to do an upstroke and typically people will fill that upstroke space with a thumb either. That's a thumb on the, uh, or I'll do it on, div- on different notes. So you can tell. So like that high note is my thumb. You can do the thumb on the fifth string or you can drop the thumb to an inside string. Yeah. Um, so or you can use a hammer-on or a pull-off in one of those spaces between your downstrokes. But your hand's always moving, right? Um, just like in, a flat picker typically would. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, there are some certain limitations to that. Uh, for instance, uh, drop thumbing. It can be really useful melodically um, to catch d- descending lines in eighth, eighth notes if you count the eighth note as the shortest... Mm-hmm. Uh, or as the fastest note. Um, Some people prefer to think of that as the 16th note. Um, So like, uh, you know, you can do a line like that with a combination of drop thumbing and Uh pull-offs and obviously downstrokes. But what if you want to do that line in reverse? Going up. Uh, ascending, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's really difficult to drop them past the uh, string that you just struck with your, let's say you're using your index finger for your
0: downstrokes. You're, um, you're upside down at that point?
1: Exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, and the most, because, you know, climber doesn't have an anchor, like often I'll see bluegrass players, yeah. you know, like anchor with their pinky, with their pinky. Um, usually the claw hammer technique. Uh, you you anchor your thumb on the note that you're about to play, on the string you're about to play. So, um, you know, if I do uh, this kind of stroke, Mm -hmm. downstroke on first string, and then thumb on fifth string, at the bottom of my downstroke, my thumb is already resting on the fifth string, Mm -hmm. as opposed to in, like, your technique, you move it when you want it to hit. Yeah. And, you know, but, like... It's just different. Yeah. uh,
0: Um... Anchor points.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And the anchor is constantly moving wherever your thumb is. That's sort of your main anchor because yeah. um, it's uh, constantly touching down. And But you can't – if you know if I wanted to go this note to this note, uh, fourth string uh, pinky to third string open, I can't – I'm muting it if I'm putting my thumb past. And there are certain players who I think have adjusted their technique in such a way that they can just do that. Like I think Victor Furtado does that oh, where he, I don't think he anchors at all. I'm not sure. I still want to have him on the show. He was here this week, but he's too busy. Uh, but, uh, so what I do instead, which I think is way easier, uh, than that is, uh, I use my middle finger cause it's right there. So if I want to do that line in reverse,
2: I'll
1: just do a drop thumb, but with my middle finger doing the upstroke. So, and I maintain the claw hammer stroke. Um, the motion is intact but um, I'm just pretending that, that is my... nuts. Yeah, and I invented this, but other people have also invented it because it's an intuitive thing to do. You have that other finger, it's right there. It's ready to be put to work in those spots where you need to get in, uh, in between your downstrokes a higher note, whether that's for a rhythmic or textural or melodic purpose. And so, yeah, I've been calling it pitchfork banjo and I guess this is my uh one of my things that I want to promote is that I have an instructional series called pitchforkbanjo.com and it's just like a $10 a month thing and or sign up for a year and at a discount and uh I just do tutorials for old-time festival jam tunes and some deeper cut stuff uh where I the in the advanced videos I will incorporate this technique and um the way this site's structured is like, it'll be a tune tutorial. And then underneath it is a video for every single concept or exercise that you would need in order to play that arrangement. A dissection. Of that uh, no. yeah. 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 So like if there's a tune that uses, um, let's say the, uh, G major pentatonic scale in the seventh and ninth fret positions, then in that, underneath that in the blog post, it'll have a video of, uh, those scales, um, mm-hmm. so you can practice it before you actually okay. try to do it in the tune. But uh, yeah, I use that uh, that technique. But other people have invented similar things, like Richie Stearns, oh. who is a person maybe you should have on your show someday if he's down. I haven't had him on my show. I would love to. Yeah, I think he's really cool. But he uh, you know played for the Horseflies and plays with Richie and Rosie now. But he he does index finger down up picking in a similar kind of way, um, mostly on the first string. He'll go you know kind of do that um but you know but it sounds incredible somehow i do a little bit of that mostly to grab uh you know because it's hard to play you know sometimes up the neck a hammer-on will get lost in the shuffle if you do a little up pick after your down stroke then you can give it a little oof especially at a slower tempo you can get a little more yeah so um these you know, this would
0: all be easier if you just switched to three fingers. Right? <laughs> you could. You're you're allowed to to use all of the fingers.
1: To Here, here's off. the thing, though. I'm I'm definitely interested in doing that someday, maybe. Um, but the thing that I like about claw hammer is the limitation of you don't have to make decisions because it's just bang, 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 bang. That's all your right hand is doing. And if uh, there's only like you know a few ways to do or probably only one way to do each kind of thing, uh, Mm. each melodic idea. Um, And you you have the limitation of your hand going down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. And um, all I have to do is have the muscle memory set for like, if I'm ascending, I'm either going to do a down stroke or I'm going to do a hammer on or I'm going to do a pitchfork stroke. If I'm descending, I'm going to do... um, A drop Drop. uh, down down stroke, drop thumb or pull off. Yeah. Um. And then every once in a while, I'll do like a little index finger waggle to catch an extra note. But like that's it. And those are the directions. And then anything past that is beyond muscle memory and is and our choices. But those are the choices that I'm making. But I I like just having all those choices already made.
0: In my, in my hands. Interesting. Yeah. So how did you discover that these, uh, sitar picks are, work well for this?
1: Uh, my friend Armand Arrowman, who's, uh, a luthier in Rhode Island and plays, um, a lot of Northeastern tunes and Celtic tunes. And, and recently, uh, he plays like Clawheimer ukulele and he uses one. And I was like, I should start doing that. So, uh. I, I ordered some and built up my calluses, and uh yeah. they get a real nice
0: clean sound.
1: Yeah, it required a little bit of adjustment for sure. me because it's like metal on metal, and it's I have to pull back a little bit. But it's great because it's really loud, yeah, uh, which can be nice on like you, you know. Were you just
0: fingernail before that, or did you? I had
1: long fingernails. Yeah, okay. that I would use, and um yeah, I like these, and I get my fingers back, and I can. You know, hold a baby or a lover, you know, or cook food or play basketball, which is something I almost never do. But every once in a while, I want to do some sort of ball sport where I catch a ball and then I'll break a nail and then have to put on a fake one. I don't have to do that anymore. Disaster, right? Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, I got that from Armand Araman. I think other people do it too. They're cool little pics. Yeah. Uh, You can go to raincitymusic.com. I think that's just like a local uh, South Asian. Like Seattle, I think they're in Seattle. Um, they, they just sell instruments, of, yeah. Uh, Asian picks. musical,
0: yeah, supplies, yeah. Very interesting,
1: specifically like South Asian stuff. So, yeah, okay, cool sitar stuff. What haven't we talked about yet?
0: Is there we talked about
1: uh ton of stuff. Um, <laughs> I well, right. let, let me just yeah say. Clawhammer, old time curious people. Check out pitchforkbanjo.com. Check out Get Up in the Cool for more of this kind of hang. Yeah. All time musicians and other stuff. And then uh, Tom Poppy String Band albums dropping uh, sometime next year, but I think there will be some pre order Kickstarter y stuff for like mixing and mastering and distribution that are happening. Soon, either before this is released or soon after, depending yeah. on when we decide to release it. And yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that'll be a, a discussion too.
1: Where do people go to keep up with everything the, you're up to? The
0: podcast site is just banjopodcast.com. You can listen to all the episodes there for free. And as you know, if, if your listeners are pretty established in uh, the Clawhammer hammer lane, I've assured Cameron here that, that yeah. I am branching out to more and more Clawhammer guests, but I, I encourage you to to be open-minded and, and, you know, listen to the Bluegrass ones too. I think they're all great. Uh, but that also has links to Patreon, that's how I get... Support from listeners. All the episodes are free, but yeah. that's the way to throw me a couple bucks for my for my troubles. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It takes a ton of work. Yeah. it's mostly a time investment. Yeah. you know, so there, you there's like of course expenses. Get the gear, with and you got to travel sometimes. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and editing is no joke. Yeah, uh, it's tough, and I love doing it, but it's a lot of time.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what I always say on my show. I love doing this, but. I couldn't unless people
0: helped me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, totally. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, man, I really appreciate it. I'm so thrilled that we got to do it, especially because for how hectic this week can get, it's easy to just lose track of things that you do really want to do, but they just fall off the the back burner. So, I'm thrilled to see that you're here, even if slightly unexpected. It was great yeah I feel the same uh, way about my own presence
1: here (laughs) it's been great and good to actually meet you in person yeah same likewise what yeah what should we do for a final tune
0: do we have one more
1: yeah Road to Malvern (laughs) shout out to Jim
0: Childress is that who wrote this? That's who wrote I'm, this. I'm glad you know I had him on the show. I'm awful with this stuff.
1: Yeah, it's okay. a mo- modern tune, Jim Childress. Okay. This is his like uh, his hit single in the old time world. Right. He has
0: other great tunes. People should go check those out. Well, this is one that has crossed over to yes. bluegrass. I love it. Uh huh. Just like who wrote Fair- uh, "James Bryan"? Is that "Farewell to Tryon"? I think it
1: was. Uh, Mac Blaylock's uncle, who, who wrote it. Okay. And uh, James Bryant got it from Mac Blaylock, I think. Okay. I sure as heck don't know. Yeah. It, but you're good with the stuff. Sometimes. Uh, okay. I'm at least good at uh, disseminating um, di- uh,
0: misinformation
1: <laughs> 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 that I feel confident about. <laughs> yeah. Just, just say it.
0: Say yeah. Say it like you mean it. Uh, that's how I how I play banjo yeah like, I don't you know too. what I'm doing but mess up loudly yeah. um, I can start this with some potatoes I guess what, what kind of speed you want to take this I can do this one fast a little bit faster yeah okay <laughs>
1: Chasing chasing that melody around with it.
0: Right, right. <laughs> no and you dropped into uh, and- Thanks again for listening to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Or were you listening to Get Up in the Cool Podcast? It's all the same for this one, folks. Thank you once again to the Patreon supporter of this show. That's Samuel Barham. You can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself of the show. And don't forget the special gifts. Uh, Join me for the All Invited VIP Lounge, Monday, December 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern, or go to banjopodcast.com and use the coupon code PICKY21 to get 21% off of your order now through the end of the year. And those are those uh, super cool t-shirts that all the cool kids have, so don't miss out on your chance to do that. And I'll uh, see you all very soon.